Genesis chapter 10, probably familiar with these uh, chapters. Now, looking at 10, you're probably already seeing a bunch of genealogy there, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, not discouraged, going, oh, this, uh, this person begot this person, this, you know. The, um, the Genesis 10 is actually an extremely important chapter uh, in the Bible and in world history. Um, I was I was listening to uh, to Joe Foch, and I heard him quote uh, from uh, Henry Morris's book, The Genesis Record, and he was actually speaking of a man who is universally known. His name's William Albright, uh, universally known as the world's leading authority in archaeology of the Near East, um, but not a believer in the infallible Word of God. Uh, but it had uh, this to say about Genesis chapter ten. He says the tenth chapter of Genesis stands absolutely alone in ancient literature, without a remote parallel. Even among the Greeks, where we find the closest approach to a distribution of peoples in genealogical framework, the table of nations remains an astonishingly, astonishingly accurate document. That's from a man that doesn't believe in the infallibility of the word of God. And uh, that's what he has to say about Genesis chapter 10. Because what we see here is remember in Genesis 9 where God said, be fruitful and multiply. And uh, what we'll see as we go through 10 and 11, mankind needed a little, um, uh, a little boost to uh, spread out and everything. So I uh, just wanted to share that. But William Albright had that to say, uh, the Genesis record um, by Dr. Henry Morris. So this is the only record in the world that contains this, uh, this information. No other nation or people has this uh, information that's anything close to this. And its accuracy is astonishing. That's that's what is uh, is known around the world about Genesis uh, chapter ten. It's a record of how the nations began after the flood. That is one hundred percent accurate. When we uh, when this is examined, even amongst the greatest of, of critics, um, uh, they find that it's that it's accurate. So there's a, a huge testimony to the scriptures within Genesis 10. And uh, like I said, even amongst archaeologists and those who don't believe, when they can look at this and go, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. And, uh, and they can use that as a framework to build uh, some historical data. So the names listed here as Noah's descendants uh, spread throughout the world. Now, as we're reading this, understanding that, that chapter 10 is, ex it's, is showing what happened after uh, verse 11. So after the Tower of Babel, this is where everybody went. So as we're looking at 10, this is explaining where everybody spread out because it speaks they had their own language. Now at one time, before Genesis 11, everybody spoke the same language. So when we see this, where they went, according to his own language, it says in verse 5, it's a recording of what happened after uh, after everybody was spread out is what we're seeing here. So uh, so just understanding that as everybody's spreading out, we're hearing that they, these people went here. There's like there's no FaceTime. You know, there's no, hey, we're going to jump, catch a flight and go home. I mean, this is this is often, uh, I, I imagine, uh, the last time they ever saw each other. As they're going in great directions, a different direction. So it means a lot when they're when they're all spreading out. So, uh, you know, when we go through and, and we look at these, we're going to discuss the names uh, and lands of note, uh, the ones that may stick out a little bit more is what we're we're going to look at a little bit into a little bit 
more. I mean, we won't discuss every single name in here, but the ones that stick out, the ones of note. As I said, this is describing what happened after the events of the Tower of Babel. So chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 10, verse 1 says, Now this is a genealogy of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons, uh, and sons who were born to them after the flood. So uh, we'll end up studying these, uh, the descendants of these uh, three of Noah's, Noah's sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, and as we'll see, and I think we've, uh, I think I've already spoiled it here, is, uh, and, and we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks. Shem uh, is in the lineage of Jesus Christ from Luke chapter three. So understanding that this is this is building. Uh, if you read Luke chapter three, it goes all the way down to the bottom. Um, uh, but we're we're actually working our way up in the genealogy all the way up. So it's it's a neat a neat study. Verse two says the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, uh, Tubal, Meshech, and I know I'm butchering these names, uh, and Tyrus. Uh, the names of uh, the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, Dodanim. Some uh, some uh, Bibles may say uh, Rodanim. Uh, from these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into the lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. So the sons of Japheth. So uh, it starts with, with Gomer, uh, Magog, Madai, Javan, uh, Tubal, uh, Meshech, and Tyrus. So uh, Japheth's descendants actually ended up going northward and became uh, Caucasians uh, of Europe and Asia. So Gomer... Uh, was the uh, the founder or uh, would be the the first to uh, inhabit the land of, that we know of as as Germany? That's where the uh, the Germans came from. I heard Joe Foch say oh, that's where the Krauts Krauts because he's he's German. So he says that's so that was that was kind of neat. And they're just putting together. I like to listen to different people, and and I have several different books that I read and everything, and just to see how they you know will introduce something and everything. Joe's Joe's was my favorite. But um, Germany and Western Europe, uh, Magog, uh, Tubal, and, and Meshach, uh, far north of Europe, uh, and also into Russia. Madai, uh, the ancient Medes, they now populate uh, Iran and Iraq, as well as India. Uh, Javan, uh, the ancient Greeks, and it says that they uh, settled in the coastland on verse 5. Uh, in coastlands. So verse 3 says, The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togomar. So Ashkenaz, um, the people who settled uh, north of Judea uh, in the uh, Fertile Crescent. Now, uh, the Fertile Crescent itself is in the Middle East, and here are some uh, surrounding um, countries that are in that area. Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, Turkey, Iran, and Palestinians, they all get along, right? Um, we know that. <laughs> Not so much, right? Uh, so it's called the Fertile Crescent uh, for its rich soils, and uh, that resulted in, in riches for those in the region. And it was once called the Cradle of Civilization, as uh, in that area is the Tigris, Euphrates, and the Nile River, all three of them right in that same that same area. Now, uh, those resources uh, have deployed, uh, depleted, and there's a lot of strife in that region. Um, just an understanding of Ashkenaz, uh, where he came from. So Togomar, uh, the Armen uh, Armenians. 
So not not the uh, Calvinists and Arminians, but Arme Armenia. So Ar Armenians. Verse four: uh, The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. Now the sons of Javan settled in the coast. Uh, Kittim, uh, you can uh, you can connect the line to Cyprus. Uh, Tarshish is the uh, the second son, and uh, they uh, I found this in in my in my study, so I'll share this. This is a, Tarshish, the second son of Javan. Uh, Javan uh, gave name to Tarsus, which uh, by which Cilicia was formerly called, as Josephus says, of which the city named Tarsus was the metropolis, the birthplace of the apostle Paul. Uh, Jonah, if you you know you think of Tarshish, Jonah tried uh, to flee to Tarsus when he was trying to run from God. So when we're putting these places together, it's neat to kind of. Uh, you know, when uh, when this was being written or you know, when someone's just reading and they don't have all these uh, Bible search tools and all these things. And, you know, I'm going to grab this. Uh, I'm going to grab my concordance and I'm going to grab a Bible dictionary and have all that to them. You know, oftentimes they just have to go back and have somebody read these things to them so that we have all this information. Excuse me. Available to us is uh, uh, is uh, very neat. So Dodanim or uh, Rodanim, like I said, the roads. Now, verse five says everyone according to his language, and uh, as I had just discussed, this is uh, explaining what happens after chapter eleven. So uh, before this, everybody was speaking the same language, but this says everybody according to their language. Verse six: the sons of Ham were Cush. Uh, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabbath, uh, Rama, and that guy. Uh, and the rest of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. Now the sons of Ham, uh, they went southward and populated Africa and the Far East. So Cush, uh, those are the descendants that founded Egypt, uh, Havilah, Arabia, uh, Rama, uh, the Persian Gulf, Mizraim, uh, another way uh, in the Bible, refers to Egypt. Uh, put uh, refers to Libya. Canaan refers to what we uh, know as Israel today. So uh, verse 8 says, Cush begot Nimrod. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I grew up, if somebody called you a Nimrod, uh, that was an offense, right? <laughs> Listen here, Nimrod. You know, so, uh, but uh, when we when we get into the study, he's an interesting character. There isn't a lot said about him, but if you if you look into and in, in, uh, in my study, you found some references to what Jose Josephus had to write about Nimrod, and there's a lot to learn about him. And uh, uh, from there, but uh, you know, just piecing together some historical things, but in the scriptures, there isn't a whole lot written about him. It's just a couple sentences here and there, but. Um, so Cush begot Nimrod. Uh, he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Cana in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh. Rehoboth, Ir, or Ur, uh, Kala, and Reason, between Nineveh and Kala, uh, that is the principal city. So Nimrod's, uh, you know, not a nickname of shame. That's not what we're looking at here. But it's a, 
uh, he, he's called a mighty one on earth. First Chronicles 110 uh, says that Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. So first Corinthians one verse 10 says that he's a mighty hunter before the Lord. And from uh, he was he, he built, and uh, it says all the kingdoms, and, and the beginning of his kingdom were Babel, and the whole list there. And then we see Assyria listed there, and uh, he uh, built Nineveh and some other cities there. So we see this isn't just a normal guy. You know, he was, he, uh, some say he was a giant, and uh, that's why he might have been a mighty hunter. Um, uh, but uh, what we what we'll learn just from uh, from s- some historical data is uh, he didn't have the greatest of uh, relationship with the Lord, uh, based on some of the things that he's quoted as saying. Uh, Micah five six calls Assyria the land of Nimrod. So he's scattered throughout the scripture, but there isn't like the uh, these big chapters about him, and there isn't a whole lot there. Uh, I encourage you, if you don't already have one for your own personal studies, find a good Bible dictionary. There is a ton of information in there. There's a lot. And when you can just go and you kind of dig and, and you're reading, I wonder what that means. Grab a Bible dictionary instead of a regular dictionary. I, I got corrected on that. I think I told you guys uh, in one of my Bible courses with Moody Bible um, because I quoted Webster's. I think it was Webster, but I was like, man, that, that was a good, that was a good explanation. It was like atonement or something. I can't remember the word. And I'm like, really, I thought it nailed it, but it wasn't the fact that it wasn't a good one. It was that they, they wanted to bring it home. Like, Hey, if you're studying the scripture and you're trying to, you know, build yourself and all those things, important to understand that, that we should use Christian, uh, books that are available to us to get a Christian definition for something. So I got the point, but yeah, Bible dictionaries are not that expensive, uh, and uh, they'll be very useful to you. You can even get, I have a pocket uh, dictionary. Uh, they have, I have a very small one that I carry around in my backpack, uh, and then I also have a big one that I use at home. So either one, I, I highly recommend them. So concerning Nimrod, according to the historian Josephus, Nimrod said uh, he would be uh, he would be revenge on God if he. Uh, sh- uh, sorry, I'm going to back up. According to Josephus, Nimrod said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, for that he would build a tower too high uh, for the waters to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. That's a foolish man. That's a foolish man. You know what? God flooded the whole earth so that there's 15 cubits over everything else. You know, you think of that, you know, everything's so deep, even uh, everything, uh, the mountains and everything. So this guy says, we're going to build a tower and God couldn't build it that, you know, we're, we're going to go there. And that's a foolish heart of his to say, I'm going to, you know, it's the same thing as saying like, oh, God's got some answer to do when I get in front of him. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. When he's going to have some answering to do. I've got some questions here. No, yeah, yeah. No, not so much. No, I, that's uh, that's just not going to happen. So this man had no uh, no uh, lack of self confidence. We'll put it that way. So uh, Josephus, uh, in describing the motive for the tower, was to protect man from God flooding the earth again. 
So as we're growing into that, that was that was it when, if you were to read. So Josephus um, was a uh, highly uh, he still is a uh, highly trusted the, uh, uh, historian. And uh, when, when he says that, you know, it's it, it goes along with everything else that we can see. So according to also, according to Josephus, Nimrod persuaded his subjects, those under him, not to ascribe their strength to God as if it were through his means they were happy, but to believe that it is their own courage which procured their happiness. This man hated God. Nimrod hated God. And he, he, he wanted nothing to do with him. He said, yeah, God wiped everybody out, and, and I, I've got a bone to pick with God. So um, what we'll end up seeing is that Nimrod is proved wrong, and all of man's strengths and ability, even the strength of the mightiest men, uh, is a gift from God, and, and he can choose to revoke that at any time. And uh, Proverbs, speaking of this type of pride, pride Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. James four six says, "But he gives more. But he gives more grace." Therefore, God says, "Resist the proud." Uh, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm going to read that again. But he gives grace. But he gives more. You guys know I couldn't talk before church, right? I was already saying good evening and everything. So, uh, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, "God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Now, Babel we'll discuss in uh, more in chapter 11, but Babel means confusion. So uh, later on, uh, it would become uh, known as Babylon. And uh, Babylon, as we know from studying the scripture here, I know all of you here that we're familiar with the word Babylon and, and, and uh, how many times it's referenced in the scripture, all the way from here, all the way to Revelation, Babylon is, is discussed. Very, very significant city uh, in human history. So it's important to understand uh, the importance of uh, Babylon. So he's the founder of Babylon and Nineveh, both very biblically significant. Uh, so we'll look in the more into Babylon here in uh, just a few. So verse 13, Mizraim begot Ludim, uh, Anamim, Lehabim, and so these people, we're going to skip ahead. Uh, verse 14 says, From whom came the Philistines and the Kaphtorim? Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, the Jebusite. So these names are going to sound familiar. The Jebusite, the Amorite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, the Sinite, the Arvidite, the Zamorite, and the Hamathite. Uh, afterward, the families of the Canaanites, Canaanites were dispersed. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as you go toward Gerar as far as Gaza. Then as you go toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zebulim, Zebium, that word, uh, as far as Lasha. These were the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages, in the lands uh, in their own nations. So uh, Lahabim, uh, Libya, Cashelhim, uh, Philistia, and Kaft, uh, the Kaftorites, Crete. So as we're drawing lines, kind of connect them all. Uh, those three, Libya, Philistia, which uh, grows into the Philistines, uh, and uh, Crete. So uh, the family of Sidon went north 
and is related to the Hivites and the Lebanese. We're going to keep pushing through here. We're almost done. Uh, verse 21, and the children who were born to Shem. Now, it's, it's, it's important for us to understand Shem because this is the lineage of Jesus. Okay, and from here we follow the lineage of Jesus throughout the scripture because Shem is going to lead us to Abraham and then the story is going to continue on from there. So, and the children and children were born to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Aphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hull, Gether, and Mash. Aphaxad, you'll also see that name in Luke chapter 3 in the lineage of Christ, begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg. You'll see that in Luke chapter 3. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot uh, Alamdad. All those names that are listed there through 29. Uh, all these were the sons of Joktan. Uh, 30, and their dwelling place was from Mesha. As you go towards Sephar, the mountain of the east. Verse 31, these were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. So Asher, uh, as you're drawing lines connecting them, Asher, the Assyrians, Aphexad, Chaldeans, uh, Joktan, Arabia. So according to their languages, it says at the end of this, 31, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. Verse 32 says, These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So that sums up the whole chapter, is that these were the families of Noah, and this is how they scattered uh, in their generations, and it goes on to list these people, these people, these people, and this is where they went, and their nations, and how they divided after the flood. So as we've finished up chapter 10, so we're going to be in great shape to get through uh, chapter 11. Uh, it's important to understand the accuracy of Genesis 10 in regard to uh, religion, uh, civilizations, and the history of the world. So we just studied all those and saw that this is where the civilizations in these areas uh, started. Now, it's not an accident that these specific individuals and groups are included and how everything can be tied back to these people and the dispersion that happens after Genesis chapter, after the uh, Tower of Babel, um, uh, after the events of Babel, I should say. So, and what's even more remarkable is how they all tie to Christ when we can look at, at something like Luke chapter 3 and see how that all ties together. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not like, a, oh, hey, hey, look what just happens to be here. It's the Lord orchestrating all of this. Important to understand that. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, what the uh, you know what we may hear from people that that don't understand is that oh just a bunch of people a bunch of men sat down you can't trust the Bible it's written by man that's usually the one that I've heard the most you can't trust Bible because it's written by man we can take them to to some verses so if you're a note taker I have three for you right now Second Timothy three sixteen says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Peter 1.21 says, But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Those three scriptures, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 1.21, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Those are, those are some important ones for us to have in our, our invisible backpack to take down the road with us you know, as we're traveling in, in, our, in our lives. I dropped my water. I'm going to grab that really fast. There we go. We'll all be much better now that I, I have this. Genesis chapter 11. Verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Thoroughly, They had uh, brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. <laughs> Spoiler alert <laughs> from verse 4 there. But So what we see in verse 1, they have one language and one speech. And uh, this is the beginning of the... Of, uh, the uh, sorry, this is uh, speaking of the earth before um, uh, chapter 10. So uh, and I think we've already talked about that and established that enough. So as we're looking at 10 and 11, just understanding where they come from. So 11 in part is explaining that, that dispersion that happens uh, from chapter 10. So where it mentions the brick for stone and asphalt for, for mortar, the asphalt that was used was called raka. And uh, it's it's interesting. I was uh, in listening. I think it actually was Joe Fosh that said the Rockefellers were uh, ended up getting very rich from studying this, from from seeing this, just understanding that area was plentiful for what they needed uh, for uh, the empire that they ended up building. And uh, so that was that was a pretty neat little thing I thought I'd share with you. So their goal that we see in these first first four verses said that let's build our city. Now, it doesn't seem like a bad thing. You know, if you're just reading and you don't know any of the other things that have been said, uh, and you just start reading in chapter 11, but then they start saying the tower whose top is in the heavens, and then they say to make a name for ourselves. To make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. How much is that pro that that uh, message being projected out right now. Make a name for yourself. You can be somebody. You know, look, I don't want everybody walking around with with uh, no hope in their lives. Uh, you know, everybody may need some encouragement to, hey, you know what? You 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 are a good mechanic and you need to use your skills for that. But if you need to put your name in lights and you need to be the, you know, the big show and you know, those types of things, that can be an issue. And uh, what they're saying here is let's make a name for ourselves. Lest we be scattered. Now, then God steps in and scatters them, and uh, and we see why because there's there's a great amount of of pride that's being uh, brought up here. Let us make a name make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Verse five says, "But the Lord came down to see the city 
and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have one, they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So when it says the Lord came down, you know, God is keenly aware of, of the happenings on the earth. And uh, he comes down, it says that the Lord came down to see the city. And so this is a big deal. You know, man was already beginning after, after what had just happened, the flood, and now uh, the earth is starting to get populated again. And uh, they're automatically starting to rebel against the Lord again, so much so that they're saying, hey, let's build a tower uh, that, that, you know, God can't destroy us all and uh, that uh, we'll make a name for ourselves and all these. So this pride is, is coming in and uh, – that's you know, what we see here is, is a bad thing. And, you know, they all had one language and God states, and this is what they begin to do. That's what the Lord just said. And this is what they begin to do. He says, indeed, the people are one and that they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. There's a lot. Just, just look at it. And this is what they begin to do. Reminds me of when somebody gets some freedom, 18 years old. Now they're out of the house. And this is what they begin to do, right? Work at a college. I see what a lot of 18-year-olds do when they get to have some freedom. Been there. Done that. This is what they begin to do. It's an interesting, interesting uh, statement from the Lord. You know, they all had that one language, and the Lord said, "This is what they begin to do." Why is that bad? Because what we see here is is uh, the the pride that's being built up in them, and the rebellion against the Lord is what's happening. And you know, you know, why is uh, the confusion coming necessary? We know that there's a confusion coming, uh, and why is it necessary? Because their their unity is not in the Lord; their unity is against the Lord. And uh, and you know, let us make a name for ourselves is quite a prideful statement. Let us make our instead of saying, "Hey, you know what? Let's spread out and let's let's uh, let's worship God here and let's worship God there." It's no. Why don't we get here and build a tower? You know, and uh, in their unity, they're filled with pride. Probably familiar with this from Isaiah fourteen verses twelve through fourteen. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Verse 13 says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, another high place, of the farthest, on the farthest sides of the, earth, of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Thank you, brother. Those statements explain why Satan was kicked out of heaven. And if you look at those again, verse 13, it says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. What did they say here? When you go, when you go back and you you look at what they say, 
uh, back in verse 4. It says, And they said, Come, let us build our city and a tower whose top is the heavens. What did Satan say in Isaiah 14? I, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will lift up. Let us build up. Let us do this. I will. Sounds like there's some influence there from the wicked one. Because there was. Those st same statements of pride. Same statements of pride. And the Lord steps in. And, huh, let's see what's going on down there, right? The Lord already knew what was going on. Let's, you know, let's, let's head down and see. Matt, thank you very much. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from the earth scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So what we see here is God interceding to save man from himself. You know, God's this is and this is what they do. You know, they've get basically we can look at it as they have some freedom. They they but they all get together. They have they can all talk. They're all uh, coming together, and when they're coming together, look at what they're doing, and this is what they do. The Lord scattered them uh, and not themselves. Right? They 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 were all set saying, "Hey, if we build this, we won't be scattered." And then the Lord comes and takes man's plans. And rips them up, and 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 look what ends up happening. They end up scattering all throughout the earth. Their will was to remain united in their pride against the Lord, and uh, the confusion caused them to scatter and remain with those that they could communicate with, right? Because that's that's most likely what we're going to be drawn to is, uh, you know, where where am I going to go if I'm walking down the street and I have a bunch of consulates there, and am I going to look at the, you know? I don't know, uh, the Ukrainian uh, consulate walk in and hope to communicate, or am I going to look over and go, oh, hey, there's United States consulate. I'm going to walk over there. And uh, I've been in, in, in one of those over in um, in Rome. It was kind of cool. Like, whoa, this is all, like, you got Americans in there. It's like our, our own little uh, you know, couple rooms of, of America here. And it, it felt really neat because everybody could speak our language everybody under they understood our culture and everything and uh, so we we typically will bind together with like-minded people and people that we can talk with there are a few that like love to challenge themselves and learn new uh, new languages and stuff that wasn't really happening at this point everybody's just in a mass state of confusion and they're all getting together saying you know what we're going here we're going here we're going here and they all set up they're different places. Genesis 9.1 says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now remember, that was the command of the Lord. And then they all wanted to stay right. There was a, bit, a group of them that wanted to stay right in Babel. Why don't we all just stay here and not be scattered? And then God came in and scattered them on anyways. They were attempting to fill, fulfill their own will instead of the Lord's. So bear with me. We're going to go into uh, chapter 10 and look at another genealogy. Very, very important genealogy, though, because now the focus is just on Shem, and it was going to lead us all the way to Abraham. Okay, so this is, this is incredible. Not that any of the scripture isn't important, but as we go through this, 
Bear with me. This is very important for us. So verse 10 says, this is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphaxad uh, two years after the flood. And after he begot Arphaxad, uh, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Arphaxad lived 35 years, begot Salah. <clears throat> after he begot Salah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Salah uh, lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. Now, uh, again, Luke 3, isn't it, that name is in there. After he begot Peleg, uh, Eber lived 433 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 33 years, begot Reu. After he begot Reu, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Reu lived 32 years and begot Shurig. After he begot Shurig, Reu lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. Serig lived 35, uh, 30 years and begot Nahor. After Nahor begot uh, begot Sarah. Uh, so after he begot Naor, Sarah lived two hundred years and begot sons and daughters. Naor uh, lived twenty nine years and begot Terah. Now Terah is Abraham's father. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived one hundred nineteen years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived seventy years and begot Abram, Naor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, oh, whoops, uh, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. Oh, no, I didn't I didn't go backwards, did I? Uh, Haran begot uh, Lot, and Haran died before his father, uh, Terah, in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. So some more familiar places and names are going to uh, just continue to pop up, like Ur of the Chaldeans, and that's where Abram was, was called out of. Verse 29, then Abram and Nahor took wives. The, uh, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name was Nahor's, uh, Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishka. Now, but Sarah, uh, Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot and the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai his son, Abram's wife, and uh, they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Sound familiar also, right? And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So uh, Shem, his genealogy, like I said, you're going to see these names in the genealogy of Christ in Luke 3. Very important to understand that lineage, Spe excuse me, especially in the Jewish culture. Everything had to do with your lineage. Everything. What line are you from? What line are you from? All the way back in Genesis, what was being recorded led to, all the way up, led to Jesus Christ. All those generations before uh, David and then the generations after, it's all that they're, they're, when they're all listed, they all lead to Jesus. This Bible is about Jesus Christ from start to finish. I heard somebody today at work, and they were quoting somebody. 
and uh, who was kind of off their rocker. So whatever they said was like, uh, and and uh, they were they were uh, talking about a political uh, a person, and they said this person is the incarnation of Christ, and he's going to set everything straight and everything. And somebody else was like, "Ever heard of the Antichrist?" And I'm like, "Christ was already already incarnated. He already lived here." <laughs> and everybody just went silent. And I said, "I'll stop there." <laughs> <laughs> they weren't arguing with me or anything, but they didn't want to have a discussion with me. Uh, so I just said, you know, you guys know Christ already came, right? Yes, he is coming back, but like, you know, it's 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 not this political leader you know, that's running around. So uh, I was just I was I was blessed to, sh to share all that. But so verse twenty-seven is the introduction of the father of our faith, Abraham. And uh, sorry, Abram. At this point, he's he's called Abram, which is exalted father. And his his name changes. God uh, change, calls him Abraham, and that's the father of many nations. So what's we're, we're going to see here is that uh, it's the beginning of a very important person for us to understand. And as we get through, as we work through Genesis, and to understand how many times Abraham is either quoted or talked about uh, throughout the scripture, he's, he's a, a very key uh, individual listed in the scriptures. So we see here that uh, Sarai is, is barren now, but, but we know that's not the end of the story, that much is going to happen in and through uh, both of their lives. Everything that we study about Abraham is not going to be rosy. You know, he made some mistakes in his life. And uh, there's some good, some bad. He's human, and just like us, he had his faults. And, uh, you know, ultimately we see God used him. And Abraham is not only revered by Christians, but also Jews and Muslims. So you're talking about a, a uh, uh, arguably the... the uh, one of the the most famous uh, men to ever live. When when even everybody in in three major religions revere Abraham, it's pretty important. So this is the beginning of it. So it's kind of that you know as the page is just page is turning and we're really going to dive in and look more. So it's a, he's a pivotal individual in human and religious history. Important to understand that Joshua. In Joshua 24, verse 2, it says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. In Ur of the Chaldeans, they, they were idol worshippers, and God called Abram out of that. And then we will see the rest of uh, how God used him. But he's once an idol worshiper. And now we look at Abram as, as uh, one that is the father of our faith. Now, it, if we are understanding that, if you connect Hebrews 11 and, uh, and what happens in his life, the scripture tell us, tells, uh, they, they tell us that Abram believed in God and God accounted him accounted him for accounted it to him as righteousness so that's an important thing it was his faith in god so when we say he's the uh, you know the father of our faith he was he was the, the first one to to hear god and believe him uh, that he was going to be the one that god would bring the promise through so he heard him believed him that's why we call him the father of our faith 
Genesis 11 and Acts 2 uh, have a lot of connections. Uh, so this is this is a neat thing. So Genesis 11 tells us that God saw man coming together in their own plans, and they're worshiping their own intellect. They're uh, lifting up their own names and uh, lifting themselves up. And God confused their language, and the result was the scattering of their civilization. So we see that. So you know, God saw them coming together with their own plans. They're worshiping themselves, their intellect. They're lifting themselves up. God confuses them, and they scatter. If you look at Acts chapter 2, go ahead and read it. Uh, we're not going to read it all, but I'll, I'll give you some uh, scriptures here. Uh, after the resurrection, man was separated from God until the death of Christ on the cross. Now, uh, men from all over are gathered in Jerusalem as directed by the Lord, one of the three major uh, um, feasts that they were supposed to be there for, for the Feast of, of Pentecost. And uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So 50 days after, over, after the Passover, there was a celebration of God's provision, uh, Pentecost, uh, called the day of uh, the day of first fruits of the harvest. So they were they were celebrating God's provision. So it's happening here. So if you think of Pentecost, uh, that that's what we need to understand with Pentecost that uh, that uh, that celebration came fifty days after Passover, and that Passover was a celebration of God delivering them from Egypt. Now, uh, what we see here is everybody's gathered. Remember. When we're comparing the two, Genesis 11 says that everybody was confused and scattered. Genesis, uh, Acts chapter 2, we see the flip side of this. The Holy Spirit is poured out. Acts chapter 2, verse 6. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. And it says, and they were confused, but they weren't confused like they couldn't understand each other. It was a different confusion because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. And the end of it says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So remember, as man was worshiping their own intellect, lifting themselves up, God confused their language and scattered them. After Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection, God pulls them together and they all hear in their own languages the wonderful works of God. That's an amazing, when you draw those two lines together of Hebrews 11 and the scattering after man's sinful pride, and then you have after the, the, the finished work of the cross and the resurrection, God brings these people together. They hear the wonderful works of God coming from people that don't speak their language. They're, they're the Holy Spirit is they they have the gift of tongues and they're 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 proclaiming the uh, the the wonderful works of God in their different language. They're like how how do I understand? That's a Galilean. Why am I understanding them speaking to me in whatever language it was? It was a gift from God. The result is 
Peter gives him the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 42 says, And with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. They continued together. It, when when man was doing his thing, God came and and confused them because they're worshiping themselves and their intellect and their pride, and God scatters them. Then he brings them all together. They hear the gospel. They're saved, and they continued. The 3,000 people, 3,000 souls were saved that day because of the work of the Lord. And it had to do with languages. Before, they were scattered because they didn't understand each other. Now they're all brought in and the Lord is speaking to them through people who don't normally speak their language and they're hearing of the wonderful works of God. That gets their attention and Peter delivers the gospel to them and 3,000 people give their souls to Christ. That's an amazing, I just, just tying those two together will blow your mind. It's awesome. So men gathered in their own name. They had their own agenda. God confused it and their plans of building in their pride. And when God brings men together in his name, they heard the wonderful works. They were no longer confused. At first they were confused, but the confusion was, why do I hear Galileans speaking? What, what, what's going on here? What's going on? And uh, they were no longer confused, but they could hear clearly. And uh, they continued together, gathered in his name rather than scattered, 3,000 of them. You know, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Amen? You know, God, is, uh, God is amazing. Lord, we thank you that we can look all the way back into Genesis and look at the, the lineages when we're reading of genealogies and, and we see the names that are listed in Luke chapter 3 and understand that you are orchestrating all of this. Lord, none of the scriptures happen, we know this, by, by accident. But you spoke to men and used them. And they wrote down what you wanted them to, to, to teach us, that we might learn. Lord, the biblical illiteracy in this nation is frightening. Let it not be said of this church or in any church that's seeking your face that we wouldn't know your word. Not knowing you can lead us down a path of what they were doing in their own pride, trying to build their own empires and building all everything without you. We don't want that, Lord. We want to walk with you. We want to experience your blessings, that your spirit would be what leads us, that we would humble ourselves at your feet, hear from you and obey you rather than trying to make names for ourselves or whatever it may be, but we would seek your face and your will for our lives and follow you, surrender our will to you, that you would give us uh, an outcome that comes from that more than we could ever comprehend. This world only has so much to offer us. We want what you have. We want to be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace to you guys. Have a great rest of your week.